Welcome to the intersection of Black culture and horticulture with your girl, Cola B. Talking. And guess what, y'all? We black in the garden. Hey, Hey, soil cousins. It is season four, like for real. And finally, y'all, welcome, welcome, and welcome again. It is all the way summer. It is all the way hot. We sweating. I just told somebody in a text the other day that it is officially titty sweat season. So if you are in possession of sweating ass titties, I encourage you to do whatever you need to do to not be dripping all over the place. But this is Black in the Garden, so we're not here to get into all the science of the the mammary perspiration, if you will. But we could if we needed to, but we're not. So <laughs> what a way to get back into it. So about the plants. My house plants, for the most part, are doing pretty good. Yeah, they're doing pretty good. I can't remember killing any... Mm, there was an air plant that died, RIP to her. So there's that one... I had her since last September. She almost made it a year, I guess, whatever. But she had died, full transparency. I thought I could save her, but mm, I'll meet her at the crossroads. So there's that. And then it's been an interesting journey with seed germination. I hope that y'all's seeds and things is going well, because here's the thing that you should have figured out by now as, as an OG soil cousin or even a new soil cousin. If you've heard a few episodes, I hope that it's become clear to you by now that I do all the things when it comes to this this gardening type of shit. You know what I'm saying? I like to be outside. I like to to get into the canna lilies and the caladiums and the alocasias and all that type of shit. I like to dabble in the landscape. I like to create really lovely artistic kind of ornamental container arrangements. That's fun for me. I like to, you know, have the houseplants all up in my space, all up in my face and really just enjoy them. You know, those are the plants that I get to engage with in meditation and they actually feel kind of like family. So there's that. So those plants are doing pretty well. I got a real big Monstera that is, she look happy. So, you know, that's my Monstera boo and I'm, I'm happy about that. I'm happy to report that to you. I do the landscape type stuff that's ornamental. Let's be specific. Uh, I do the containers with ornamentals. I also do containers as I'm currently doing with edible vegetables, fruits and things. I'm doing that. Starting seeds for myself, starting seeds for others, starting seeds for organizations. There's a lot of adjustments that are going on with me right now. So everything is not as I ideally would have it. But if I'm real, that's really something. I just want to park on that right quick. When it comes to this concept of having things be the way that you want them to be, don't get too attached to that. That's what I would just want you to like, because that I'm dealing with that as well. This is something that is very, this is human nature. You know, you get an idea, you come up with a plan, you have a thought, you have an intention, and best case scenario, as far as we're concerned, when it comes to our desires and our will being done, getting too attached to what that outcome is, is not healthy. 
especially in consideration of how much more traumatic it becomes when that thing does not come to fruition as we expect. Bringing it back to plants and gardening, my seeds, my seedlings, the first crop of seedlings that I put out, baby, they were, they was lovely. I planted no less than 50, 60 seeds, all kind of stuff. I'm talking about like squash, mad tomatoes, peppers, like I was doing it all. I didn't really take a, a record of all of that. I'm really not that type of gardener. I'm not the super type A, super duper planned out type of girl. That's just not me. I like to let it flow. You know what I mean? But I was doing what I needed to do to ensure the success of those seedlings. Now, the good news is I got like a 97% germination rate followed by a 100% termination rate. And when I say termination rate, I mean, everything was popping, waiting for the last frost and had my grow light, had them all set up. And it got to a point where they needed to be potted up out of those little growing cells. And I didn't do that. Like I just legit time kept passing. I kept looking at them. I kept trying to water them and keep them up. And then it just got to a point where my energy shifted, my my priorities, my thoughts. There's so much that I'm trying to keep up with. The whole damn tray of seeds, it perished. It just perished. And I was pretty transparent about that on my Instagram. If you're keeping up with me there, if you're not at Black in the Garden, get you a piece. Let's get into that. Go ahead. Let's do that. Let's do that right now if you can, if your hands are free. But yeah, so that didn't go well. I started some more seedlings after, uh, had a bit more success with that. But it's just gardening is a thing that we do. For some of us, it is our whole life. Shout out to y'all because y'all are the soil cousins that are fully immersed. For me, gardening is not my entire life. It is a an important part of my life. It is a priority. All of those things for sure. It certainly does influence how I live my life and where I want to live and how I want to live and shit like that. But it's not my whole life. I am not at a point where I'm able to grow all of my own food. That's the goal. Another thing that's a goal is motherfucking surviving. All right. We are full. <laughs> we getting all the cuss words today. I'm sorry, uh, family members, dad, mom, whoever's listening to this. I do be cussing. I don't cuss at y'all or in front of y'all because I respect y'all. But that's part of my, my language. I say all that to say, because I don't want to prolong this intro for too long, that at least I tried. I am not at this place where I'm growing all my own food, but I will get there. And I have been in transition quite a bit since the beginning of season three, actually. Now, as we meet again at the beginning of season four, I definitely feel a lot more uh, situated and capable of doing the things that we've been doing. And the, the show is growing. The audience is growing. The brand is growing. Like things are definitely happening in the way that I would want them to happen. But once again, let us bear in mind not to get super attached to a particular outcome. You know, you bring this plant home. From the nursery, she'd be real cute and vibrant. And, you know, you'd be feeling like Miss Calathea was going to bring you a lot of joy. You'd be feeling like Miss, what's that little dramatic hoe? What's her name? Miss Peace Lily. You'd be feeling like she really going to give you some peace. 
if you don't know that she might could give you some drama, there's a good chance she will. I'm just picking on Peace Lilies right now. Y'all get it. But yo, there's not a guarantee that by the time you get it home and you try to give it what it needs, that it's going to love you back. Okay. I would like for you to take that with you. Pack that up. Put that in your collection of gems from Black in the Garden. Thank y'all so much to the Soil Cousins who, you know, since we last had uh, an active season, since season three, a.k.a. We've sold some merch. We've sold a hundred t-shirts. Oh my God, y'all are rocking with us. I want to see them. If you don't want to post them, if you don't want them to be on all the internets, you know, some of us don't put pictures of ourselves online. I respect that. I respect your boundaries, boo. But I would love to just see you in your Black in the Garden shirt if you already have one. If you would like to get one, then what you should do is go to blkinthegarden.com so that you can get on our mailing list. And so we'll just get into a little bit of housekeeping while we're at it. And I have to just say, oh my God, I the growth here, because I'll be honest with you, and this is something that a lot of podcasters deal with, is this concept of like, oh, should I ask for money? Or how do I, you know, how do I talk about the fact that I would like for you, listener, to support the show with a monetary donation? This is just, this is par for the course. The creation of things takes time and energy. If you're really trying to do it at a certain level, then it's going to take other resources that add up to, you know, a dollar amount. And your girl is all in. This is full time. This is what we're doing. This is what we're giving. And we're we're really giving, though. Like we're we're really getting a lot from keeping up with Black in the Garden. So long story short, this is what you can do to support. If you are new here, welcome. Go ahead and become a patron. That's my number one preference when it comes to support. Now, you can support on a monthly basis, but did you also know that you can purchase a year of Patreon? Like you can go to the tiers and all that stuff. Go to patreon.com forward slash black in the garden. And we're going to sort all of that out. But I would love for you to become a patron. You would love to be a part of that community where there is more access to more content uh, behind the scenes. In all honesty, there is still a lot more that is to come to that platform. You can also head on over to blkinthegarden.com and get some merch. We actually have stickers now, coasters, magnets, pins, buttons. We even have some wall decals. And I really don't believe that you would want to miss out on that. So uh, I'll just keep this very simple by indicating that when it comes to creators and creatives who decide, listen, there is a song in my heart. There is a story that I want to tell. There is a podcast that I believe would be beneficial to a particular community. Y'all know what it is with Black in the Garden. It is Black culture and horticulture. And it's necessary. It's legit. (laughs) But it's even more legit with the support from listeners. Soil cousins is what I like to call y'all. And there's a very specific reason for that. It's just to be 
all inclusive. Y'all, I hope that y'all understand that I put a lot of consideration and thought into just making sure that everybody feels included and to bringing you very diverse stories of experiences that we are having across the diaspora, being Black in the Garden and being plant enthusiasts at that. Much to come in season four and that much more to come when you say, you know what, let me let me show my support by uh, clicking all these little links down here in the show notes and If you are not able to support monetarily, ain't nobody judging you. Nobody's coming, checking your pockets. Nobody's saying, "Uh uh-uh, you got to cut this off. You can't listen if you don't put... Listen, the collection plate will continually be passed. (laughs) That's what this part is. I think I should probably put in a little organ. No, I don't want to trigger people because I feel like not everybody is going to enjoy feeling triggered in relation to a collection plate being passed. It just depends on your experience. But just, you know, the blackness of it is very much like, oh, maybe we should just put in an organ and we should do an altar call so y'all can know that this is the time where you, you know, you pull your wallet out and you contribute to the building fund. That's essentially what it is. We got a building fund, y'all. You can certainly send me a cute little cash app donation and that's hashtag black in the garden. There's ways. If you are not able to make a monetary donation, like I said, no worries, no press. You can still enjoy the episode and I do hope that you enjoy it. And I also would hope that you would share it. Share it with somebody who you know will like it. Share it with somebody who you think will like it, but also share it with somebody who like randomly, you know, be like, just find a way to bring it up in the conversation and be like, did you know there's a podcast about like black people loving plants and gardening and stuff? And shout out to the other podcasts. There are some other podcasts out by now. Um, I don't have a list of them and I don't want to leave anybody out, but they're, they're, the medium is growing, the niche is growing, and I'm proud to see what uh, other Black people are bringing to this conversation. So amen to that. But share Black in the Garden is my point. You know, share uh, in all of these electronic device ways that we share things and get your life and also leave a review. That's that's another thing. There's mainly Apple is where reviews live. So if you are listening on that platform, if you have not taken the time, because I know sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going I'm to do it. I am going to leave a review. And then you get busy. The baby cries. Phone rings. I don't know. And you don't get to do it. Take a moment right now. Pause this if you need to. And just talk about how much you enjoy the show. It don't have to be super long, but just let people know that, hey, we out here listening to Black in the Garden. We out here loving it. And and just, you know, let let it be your testimony. Y'all like all these church references? (laughs) Anyway, let's not prolong the point too much. Let's get right into it. I talked to my dad, y'all. I've been wanting to get my dad on really since the beginning, since very early in the show. I had spoken to him about it actually about a year ago. Wow, look at this full circle. So he on it now. I'm saying it like that because he may not have known when we had this conversation that he would be because he was trying to be like real shy about things or whatever, but... (laughs) Not shy, because my dad is not shy. 
interestingly enough, but having some apprehension about recording and feeling like it's super official. It is official. Don't get it twisted. But the most important thing that I wanted to bring to Black in the Garden by having a conversation with my dad is to shed some light on the experience of a Black person from his generation. If I'm not mistaken, he's in the baby boomer generation. That is a generation that was able to still recall what it was actually like to live during the civil rights era. My parents grew up in rural Georgia. I hate saying that word, by the way, rural. You know, as a podcaster, it's important for me to articulate in a very specific way. And that's a word that always feels like it gets stuck in my mouth somewhere. And I don't like that. But my my parents were raised in rural Georgia in a little town called Fitzgerald. Um, And I do remember reading a plaque somewhere because we visited there a lot. And it indicated uh, that John F. Kennedy, that's what the F stands for in John F. Kennedy is Fitzgerald. And, you know, you can ask Auntie Google once again about the origins of that town's name, because I'm not here to give you all of that. I am here to talk with you or to talk with my dad and to share that conversation with y'all so you can get an appreciation, get a feel for what his experience was like. Because when he was growing up, agriculture was the way of life for his parents. Gardening was not a hobby. Gardening was the difference between eating and not eating. That definitely came across. And there was so much that we talked about. Uh, My dad went to the military. He actually retired from the military back in the 90s when I was in elementary school. You know, you can tell about some of the places that we lived because I made mention of that. There was a really interesting thing that came up about living in Mississippi. There were certain memories I have from some conversations that I've had with my dad that I was like, yo, I need my audience to get in on this. Like I need, this is a part of this quilt that Black in the Garden is when I consider it being a quilt in relation to how every conversation is like a patch in it. You know what I'm saying? It's a dope quilt though. Like we gonna be real warm this winter. It's, we're adding the patches. It's getting to where it needs to get to. So much more to come in season four. This is a very, very special episode because of the release being deliberately in conjunction with Juneteenth and Father's Day. So this is literally the Juneteenth Father's Day episode. Maybe that's what I'm going to call it. You'll know. You would have known that by the time you hear this. (laughs) But it is all good. And I am so glad to have your ears once again. I'll be honest with you. There was, I had some trepidation. I show the Hell did have some trepidation with coming back for season four, not because I didn't want to come back, but you know, it'd be shit like imposter syndrome and like, oh, well, what are we going to do next? How are we going to add this and that in the third? What about sponsors and all that other kind of stuff? We are getting to all of that. I would rather under promise and over deliver, but sometimes shit, it's just good enough to deliver. All right. So here I am 
delivering a really dope season. You haven't even heard it yet. So just trust me on this. You're going to love it. We've got guests that I never even imagined would be on this podcast. You're going to be like, what? Okay. Great episodes, great conversations, starting with this one with my dad. Thank y'all so much for joining us again. Welcome back to season four. Welcome back to Black in the Garden. Let's get started before I start crying. I wanted to ask some questions, if that's okay. Daddy, can you tell me some stuff about your dad? He was a farmer, right? Granddaddy, granddaddy's daddy. All of them worked on the same farm. And my daddy and my granddaddy were on the same farm. But whose farm was it? You know, they went down the line so many years for this one, so many years for that. My granddaddy was out there about 40 years. My dad's about 50. What was it like for them when they were born? Were they born during Jim Crow? Were they born during slavery? My family on my side was born during slavery now. Actually, they were killed this way when he was a little boy. Your granddad was? Yeah. What about your dad? My dad was born in 1906. My granddad was born in 1865. Your father's dad was born in 1865. Yeah, no, my mom and dad was born in 1865. Your mom's dad was born in 1865, and your dad's dad was born when? 1876. 1876. Well, you know, that freedom wasn't really freedom. It was just... No. Y'all not... They didn't just make everything fair just because slavery was over. It was still slavery, but it was just called something else. What about land? Do y'all have any land in the family? Did your dad or your grandfather... about your dad, how much education did he get? Did he get to go to school at all? He got to seventh grade. What happened after seventh grade? He went to work for the... Went to work, I guess. Well, I mean, of course you wasn't there, but whenever he went to work, he went to go work for some white folks? Yeah, he had to go to work for some white folks. I don't know. I don't know if he going to work. Yeah, I was in the big... I was in the moment with your fifth grade, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had to leave out of school when they got big enough to work. So he didn't go in the military, right? That was you. No, my, my dad did, but uh, my uncle went there. On my mom's side, he went to the army. Then my brother went to the army. Do you remember, like, what your earliest memory was? Yeah. I was the time. All the time. I remember my dad all the time. He was right there. Working. So you remember him working? <laughs> yeah, I working. When did you start working? Nine or ten, I was driving a tractor. You was driving a tractor? What was the point of driving the tractor? I'm just trying to understand what was going on. Were you driving the tractor on the farm that you were working on?
So when you was driving a tractor, what were y'all growing on the farm? The people that y'all were working for, were they rich? What was his name? Oh, that's a lot. What, do you remember the name of the person you was working for? Oh, so there's a road named after them. Oh, they gave your family an acre of land to be buried on? So they gave the church an acre of land for your family? Okay, so they gave the church some land to bury the people that was working for them. Oh, that's what they did. That's, you said that's where your mom and dad are buried? Okay, so I know where that is. I've been there. Back to when you was little, when you was driving that tractor and everything, what was it like for you every day? You got up, what, before the sun came up and what kind of stuff were you doing every day? How did you get up? Like, did your mom wake you up? Was it a rooster? <laughs> you caught the school bus. How many miles? What was your house like? Who built the house? They did. Oh. Y'all going up there now? If you could give me some pictures or something, that would be good. What did your dad want for you? Did he want you to go in the military? Did he want you to finish high school? Why didn't you want to be a farmer? Why do you think he wanted you to be a farmer, though? Okay, so how many siblings did you grow up with? Okay, I grew up with Irene, Ned and Wayne, Tony Terry and Bill, all the grandchildren. I grew up with all the grandchildren. So you saying it was like at least 10 of y'all in the house? At least 10 or 12 in the house. Mostly kids? Yeah. My mom and dad did that all up. I mean, was it comfortable? Was it enough space for all y'all? Did y'all have a stove? So yeah, had a wood stove. Oh, y'all had a wood stove. When did you learn how to cook? 
How did the wood stove work? When you say wood, you mean a wood burning stove? Yeah. Did you have to go chop wood? Yeah. When you was little? Yeah. How are you going to keep going in the middle time to chop wood? <laughs> did everybody have to chop wood or just you? Everybody chop wood. Was that like every day or y'all would do it on the weekend? Yeah, we every day. She was well, I know, but so that that meant that y'all had to, because you know you can if everybody go chop wood together, then you'll have a lot of wood, right? Oh uh, yeah, we had wood. We had to go out the wood hunting first. Uh huh. They, they cut the wood up and everything. Everything came from scratch, and what y'all ate came from scratch. So I would imagine that y'all grew all your own food. Yeah, most of it. It's something like that to go to town to get. But corn, very very corn. That corn from picture and never get the corn grind up. Did y'all grow cane? We had a little bit, a little bit, but no cane like, had cane field. Who had a cane field? Some people had cane field. You just wanted the cane for the syrup. right now right it's summer it's father's day when you was a kid around this time in the summer what were y'all growing do you remember everything y'all grew for yourself pretty much like growing enough for multiple families. Everybody shared whatever they had back in the day. So if somebody had something that they had a lot of, then they could share it with somebody else and basically whatever you might need that somebody else had, then they y'all all could put it together. Yeah. Since y'all was able to grow your own food, then y'all were able to not have to worry about if you would be able to eat. Like were there ever any times where y'all didn't have food? No, they don't know that. Who was taking care of the meat? Where was the smokehouse at? The smokehouse was just for y'all or was it for everybody? The white people had their own smokehouse. First of all, what kind of meat did y'all have? Was it like pigs and cows, chickens? What what kind of animals was it? In the winter, would y'all go hunting? How would y'all get the meat that you had to go in the woods for? When you say coon, do you mean raccoon? And speaking of coon, how did that come about with white people calling black people coons? What did that mean? Black with a strike. Black with a strike. When you was a kid, were the white people any nicer to you or they was just mean to everybody? No, they weren't the mean. They were like, they were going to get a And they pulled up with a song with that four people. Hmm. You said lard and blackberries? Yeah. But my mom said that greeting and make 
So when you say everything was made from scratch, like she made her own soap for everybody. Well, we made soap for everybody. Pot ash soap out of grease. Pot ash? Yeah. Oh, wow. Do you know how to make that? No, I can't remember how to do that. I ain't. I don't know that. I don't Yeah, sometimes I'm going to put it in there. I know that. So it would get you clean. Do you remember when you first used soap that your mom didn't make? How long did she make soap? After a while, y'all ended up going to the store to get soap. I guess. You would have to get what? Like boiling hot water and put it in there? Did y'all have a well? How did y'all get water? some kind of payment from your dad being a farmer and the applied to get this okay and so in order to apply for that you had to qualify your father's experience as a farmer and right because of discrimination I was, that's been on the news recently. I don't know. Did you see anything about that recently? So Biden came into office and the best that I can tell you is that the money was supposed to be distributed and they were getting ready to go ahead and get that going. And then it came up that giving that money out was discrimination in some kind of way. Like basically... There's lawyers that are trying to sue the USDA in saying that it's discrimination to give this money to black farmers. It, it don't make no sense because by now, I know that you Your dad used to grow tobacco? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, no. They had lots of love, you know. And they took a long time to buy something. Mm-hmm. I already applied for it, but that now. The new guy, my man on the list. 
Well, they really are trying to keep that from coming in. They understand that the people are getting up in age that really need that money. And yeah. and so it's like they trying to wait, you know, they trying to stall it out. Yeah, I mean, they the last ones that should have stuff because they was the last ones to get here. And when they did get here, they just used everybody who was here. No, I'm not talking about the Indians. I'm talking about, you know, how white people came and first they, you know, they messed over the Indians and they took the land over. And for a long time, because for myself, as I'm doing all the research I'm doing with Black in the Garden, what I've come to understand is that Black people were not bought from Africa for labor. It was because in Africa, you know, our ancestors were already good at knowing how to cultivate land and knowing how to get their crops to come in and they had an understanding of it and so when they got here and they were they were growing it because white people were more concerned with like trying to make as much money as possible they was growing so much but what they was doing like you mentioned tobacco and so i remember i found out about this when i was doing research about george washington carver is they were growing the same crops over and over again in the same place. for a thousand dollars yeah what exactly was that money for so he could help him rotate the crops he said that if he left the crops out there the hogs would get it yeah you saying that the hogs would come out and eat up certain crops so hogs like peanut crops. Mm-hmm. You talking about wild hogs? Okay, so you saying that the white man gave your dad a thousand dollars to help him keep the farmers bureau gave your dad a thousand dollars to help him keep the hogs out of the peanut crops. Oh, they paid him not to farm them. Yeah. Okay, and why did they pay him not to farm on that land? Right, so they were trying to encourage crop rotation? Yeah. Oh, no, I was just trying to understand because, you know, I was talking about how, you know, they bought the Africans, our ancestors, to cultivate the land with the expertise that they had. But even after they got them here, they were still growing crops in a way that wasn't, that was, you know, they was basically kind of messing it up because they kept on growing. The, they wasn't rotating them like they should have. Oh, so he benefited from that. Yeah, he did. 
A thousand dollars had to be a lot of money for him, right? What did he do with it? I know he didn't go buy a Cadillac. But I'm saying if the Farmers Bureau cut him a check for a thousand dollars, which was a lot of money at that time, he was just paying off some debts, catching up on some bills. Oh, how many kids was he providing for? That's a lot. <laughs> Out of everybody that you grew up with, nobody ended up being a farmer or had any interest in doing that. No, uh, he farmed for a while, but he don't want to farm. Uh huh. He don't want to farm at all. Not the rest of them. I know I didn't want to farm. Y'all grew up in Fitzgerald, Georgia. Yes, in Irving County. Irving County. Oh, they call it Irving County. Yeah. Were there any wealthy black people? I know you still keep up with some of your classmates. Did anybody that you know or from town, any black people, did they keep up any farms on a large yeah. scale? The one guy that got a farm market, Uh huh. Somebody you went to school with? Yeah. So do you want to get some land out there? Or is that still important to you? I can't. I can't even walk in the door. <laughs> I'm living man now. Uh-huh. <laughs> what about your friend in Mississippi? Didn't he have a farm? He still got one. Yeah, I got one of his hands. I wanted to see a graduation. Yeah. See him then. That was Mr. Mosley, right? Jenkins, him, yeah. What does he do for a living? Is is he a farmer? Ain't no farmer. No, he ain't now. But he was a farmer though. Yeah, he worked on the big little farm. I guess you know. I remember him from when I was a kid, and I remember when we would go. We would have to drive kind of far, and we would have to go down a long dirt road to get to his house. So yeah. in my mind, he was a farmer. <laughs> yeah. Little on the little boy, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, he got one kid, he got two or three. Two or three children. Matthew. He's still with his mother now. He's still with his mother now, but he got back. He got children alone. Oh, okay. He my age, ain't he? Yeah. Oh, Lord. What's the thing, baby? Mm-hmm. What's the thing, this? What? He got that now. I don't want to say because one thing, this. I see her now. She went that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got her getting my wife. Wait, say that again now. You said one thing about it is what now? So if he worked a whole day, you're saying he only made one third of what he should have made? One third of the whole thing. And all the children had to work. The one the one who the white guy, okay, he had like twelve or something going to see him work. Mm-hmm. Cropping, right? That's that's the scam. Yeah, broke even. I mean, yeah. What do you think he would think of how things are now? 
That's you got to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. They got white people doing now. One thing did. We get something like that. Oh, but they had them. They had big fun. But they had big fun. The kids that got grown and they got sold out. Somebody will always be the one that's going to come there and try to take over them. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's a common story with black people. It's just one of the most unfortunate things about agriculture in general and how black people are not involved in the making money, you know, or being rich part of it is, you know, it used to be so many more black farmers. It used to be at least like 20 percent of the farming population was black. And now it's less than 2%. This is big business. Well, that's going to in the country. We have, we have black people all like in the country. And now like that now. They mm. one black family that don't know home no more. Like we said, like where we see that, but on the road, then the boy family on them, there's like 10 or 12 of them in the highway. That's not, they know like that nowhere. Well, that's not by chance. That's definitely the way that it was, it was supposed to be. I know y'all grew up, unfortunately, when the Klan was active, like more active. Yeah. I yeah. think, Ma, didn't you say something about they burn a cross in your yard? Yeah, they burn a cross in my mother's yard. And that, uh, a guy stopped me. I came home one night, and a brother guy, was, I had crossed back with him that Friday. How old were you then? I was about 16, 17 years old. And then uh, I would come home that Sunday night. That's what town I'm coming from back home. They stopped me. They burned the cross like them in front of our church. In front of the church? Yeah, and then the guy said, no, let him go. You know, I heard that kid know his voice. They had the little white sheets on their name. I knew his voice. You knew his voice? Yeah, because I just went with that Friday. Oh. I had been with all of them. I'm trying to understand what exactly happened. You said that they was burning a cross on your church. And you came in contact, like you saw the clan members out there, and you, because you had to be close enough to them to hear his voice to recognize it. Well, dude, they stopped the car. They stopped your, the clan stopped your car. Yeah. How did you feel in that moment? Weren't you terrified? Well, I was scared. You were scared? Um, I mean, you know, I was, but I wasn't. Were you by yourself? Yeah, I was by myself. Wow. I was going to tell my mom about what they going to do for me. I mean, they they couldn't do anything about it, and and you know the clan was also the police. Yeah, but you were still a child. No, it was nothing you could do. Just randomly? Was, were they trying to send a message? Yeah, they sent a message. So they were a fish kid and a fish kid. Mm-hmm. And when my mom came up, over there too, standing right over there, mm-hmm. they were going to get on the platform on that side of town. And then Pimlin was the last one to sell over there. The last ones to sell their land? Yeah. So they was trying to scare them off the land? Yeah, my mom was moving over there. They made them move. That was a tool that they definitely was using intimidating black people it's still going on to this day not to the same extent and then they put the word out that uh, it was black men caught up in that uh, and did a march in all over Georgia and when the black men caught up in that uh, same great thing they just always on their phone you know the more phone they don't stay home you know 
So you're saying that during the times when it was, you know, like the civil rights demonstrations and everything, the farmers would say that if any of their workers were found out to be participating, they would not be able to come back. Like they would be fired. Oh, and Ma, I remember you mentioned before that your parents were afraid for you to go and participate in that. My mama and them, all of them, and my mama wouldn't let us march. All night, uh, all the, the blacks, they went to jail. Did any of your classmates go to jail? What is that? Everybody went to jail. Yeah, they put them in jail. Where was the demonstrations happening that were closest to Fitzgerald? At my, my, my mama's house, they was marching. At your mom's house? So you're saying that there was demonstrations happening in Fitzgerald? Yeah. Oh, okay. In what house? Osceola? Yeah. Did Martin Luther King come to Fitzgerald? Yeah. yeah. All them came. So. They had a march to Fitzgerald. Yeah, they had a march. They went to jail. Mm. My mama wouldn't let us march. Yeah. Well, the they had to kill us to our faith, but mm. the word they got us, so we, we couldn't kill us. So, the word they got, you know. What about with voting? Well, that's the thing, boy. Uh-uh. You do no voting. Do you remember when you first realized that you actually could go and vote? Yeah. Do you remember when you first voted or who you first voted for? hospitals because I was reading this book and it was a pregnant woman you know this was during the times when hospitals were segregated and she had to get I don't know like 20 miles in a horse and carriage to the hospital to try to have a baby in Fitzgerald when y'all was growing up what was that like with the hospitals and stuff like that as far as In the 80s, they would segregate the hospitals? Yeah. Oh. So they when... Had, uh, a colored lady, you know... They had a black man, a black man in their own for a couple of years. She would come out and live in the country. That's what I was going to ask, is y'all all was born at the house? I was. Most of them. Most of black kids, they were born at the house. So if they... That's how I tell the brother they got mixed up. Oh, right, because she... She got two birthdays. Yeah. And So it wasn't a good system of keeping records. No, no, that's no record. How certain are you about your date of birth and time and all that? Well, if I had messed up to my mom said one thing and uh well, she said well, I want a school record well. You mean? In, uh, uh, my brother, uh, yeah. they 
they got him to be white. He, he a white child. What you mean? That's what I'm saying. Oh, he, look he was on his birth certificate. Oh, he white. That's what they had. <laughs> They put him down as a white boy. Yeah. Did that help him in any way, or that was just on paper? No, so speaking of white, was there anybody that y'all knew of that was white passing? Uh-huh. Did y'all know anybody that was, you know, that was like white skinned enough to pass to, you know, got up to anything and well, So when you graduated, you what like this the day after? Did you go in the military? Like how did that go? You went to trade school. Okay, I remember one of the things you told me about being in the military was when you found out that you were stationed in Mississippi. But you said that you was like really scared to to have to go to Mississippi. We did end up going to Mississippi, and uh huh. So somebody who was involved in that was the sheriff at the time when we was there. Yeah. How did you know? He was security. He worked for a black guy. He worked for the sheriff. He was in the military. or did it come out after? It came out in 1988. Do you remember where you was in 1988? So we spent a few years in Mississippi and once you got there, once you were there for a while, did you feel any better about being there or you were always nervous and ready to... Uh-huh. Okay, and we lived on the base, right? So on the military base, do you feel like it was it was safer for your family to live on the military base? Oh yeah. So that had to make a difference. But it was different. Yeah, but uh, Robert and I was walking up to that town. But I mean, no people had violence. I always felt better on the base anyway. I left taking the base out. Well, that's good because I can say you know I was really small. I was no more than five. I remember my fifth birthday was like I remember my fifth birthday. I remember the cake, and I remember us living on that base in Mississippi. 
But I also don't remember ever not feeling safe. I remember, you know, I went to school off the base and I don't have any memories of anybody like calling me a nigger or anything like that. Oh, it, it definitely is. You know, that's that's still a state that I don't know how to explain it, but um Yeah. Oh, but so when you were in the military, did anybody ever call you something like boy? So they was trying to be cute about it. Yeah. Wow. I would always been a Negro, been a black, been African American. So it was after they stopped saying colored so much. Mm-hmm. So you wasn't colored. You started out as a Negro. So I started out as a color. Oh, you started out as a colored, and then with a Negro, a Negro African American. Oh wow. Oh, I also remember you told me about when you went overseas, you went to, I think you said the Netherlands or Iceland, and you said they wouldn't let y'all get off the ship. They wouldn't let black people get off the ship when? They wouldn't let black go to Iceland. They didn't allow black up there. Iceland was an all-white country. But they were so white that they wouldn't even let black soldiers come over there. Nope. And they say, you gonna beat you as a... Call you a monkey and call you a champ. They called you a what? A monkey. A monkey. Yeah. I thought I remembered you telling me that there was a time when you couldn't get off the ship at night. You couldn't. You couldn't get off the ship then. You couldn't go out in town nowhere. You couldn't go out in town. Didn't you say that they thought y'all was gonna grow wings or something? So tell me about that again now. The people in Iceland thought that. So y'all had to report back to the ship what before sundown? Oh yeah. And that wasn't just Iceland or was that just Iceland? Iceland. Oh. Until that is something else. <laughs> was that the first time, like, with that thing that you just said about they thought you would grow a tail in Iceland, was that only there or was that somewhere else too? You went to the military right after high school. Being in the military, you got to go around the world. I know some people when, especially some black people, when they went in the military during those times, they would tend to stay overseas. Like they didn't want to come back to America. Did y'all ever talk about maybe we should move to France or something? Okay. You wasn't interested in, in staying somewhere else in the world, but that is true, I guess, but <laughs> this is all I know. When you were traveling, how was racism different from from one country to the next? In England? Yeah. Like, how did you remember that happening? Did somebody say something to you? Was it stuff that you saw? You said they had a nose in the air? 
Oh, you said the black people in other countries don't fool with black Americans. So when you were over there in, in England, that was what you remember? Yeah, in Africa. In Africa. I feel like But don't you find that strange that the the neither one of us on either end had any power over who came or left? So how does anybody become a traitor if they they can control how their parents or their grandparents got shipped off from Africa? Oh, I feel like it's a lot different these days when people. Not really. Yeah. And that is true. I'm not sure if I mentioned to y'all that I spoke with a farmer in South Africa. And I mean, I knew this, but talking to her helped me to remember that they really got their freedom like in the 90s. That's when apartheid officially ended, which is, you know, similar to Jim Crow. And so they the way that they're moving forward after that is like they're still kind of in that place that black people were in in like the 70s and the 80s is what it's like for them over there. Oh, and what year was that? Oh, wow. So black people couldn't handle money. Wow. Did you know of anybody that was like, for example, any black men who would try to like be with a white woman? You do know of people who were, you know. It was too dangerous. So you saying you know for a fact of examples of that happening? Yeah. Oh. What was so special about South Florida as far as that goes? Florida's, I know Florida's a lot different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ooh, wow. why you know it just it seems like it would be a big risk to be trying to be with the white woman and that you just have to really go out of your way but that's that's a lot of risk it's a lot different but I'm thinking of Your senior year of high school is when you saw integration in your school. No, I seen that old school, not in my school. 
Okay, it just didn't happen. Ooh, that's a lot. <laughs> Y'all have seen a lot. <laughs> I'm thinking about your dad because I would imagine that your dad was called boy at some point. And I'm. No, I'm not talking about white. Well, I'm talking about your like your dad's experience with just trying to be a, a man and take care of his family and maintain dignity, even though. What what'd you say that? Whatever the white man said was true. Yeah. We don't have no say, so you don't. Yeah. Yeah. What I think about is, you know how we have all these, you see all these movies where it'd be some white person serial killer and got all the bodies chopped up in the freezer or something like that. I just know that that kind of depravity was happening back when when black people didn't have any rights and black people would undoubtedly go missing and there would be all kind of stuff that would be happening with black because, you know, uh, yeah. Everybody was everybody that was in authority, especially in those positions, was white and yeah, and and then of course they didn't want voting to happen, like in Georgia. In particular, there was a lot of things that was going on to keep all black people. There, all up there, uh, what the name of that place is up there? Forsyth. Forsyth. They didn't even allow the train people. They better close them windows. They didn't even let the, them folks get it on there. I do remember when I've been on the bus. Mm-hmm. Y'all still had to sit in the back of the bus. Yeah. yeah. When you were on your way to boot camp. No, when we were in boot camp. On school, on this end. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so you grew up in the South. You know what it was like in the South. You know about all the ways that it was hard for Black people in the South. Did you ever think about living, like, in, say, California or in Pennsylvania or something like that? It would have been a, a bit different if we wasn't taking care of, you know, older relatives. Yeah. Okay. Y'all talked about moving to Philadelphia at one point? We saw, I thought about it, but I don't... A lot of... I don't think they couldn't take them to survive with them. Because you couldn't wear them nice shoes and all of that. They and didn't want that. They didn't want that. They didn't want that. They you talking about in the 90s? Yeah. Yeah, well. Well, y'all did the best that y'all could, and I appreciate y'all. Hey, Soil Cousins. 
We are officially one episode into season four, and I am just so happy and proud to have brought you the conversation that I had with my dad. I hope that it was understandable, you know, as clear as possible. It was a recording of a phone conversation. My dad is not super tech savvy. So I hope that, you know, the message came through clearly. I hope that you got something to take away. Like, you know, everybody doesn't get to have these kinds of conversations with people who have these kind of lived experiences that we just heard about. And many of the things that he shared were new to me. Like, I didn't know that his mom made soap. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't know that. That was really cool to find that out. And it really made me think about Michael Twitty. Some of you may have read his book, The Cooking Gene, where he talks a lot about embodying the experience of a time that came before us when everything was done a lot slower. That's the simplest way to put it. And that book is actually on my reading list. Like it's high up on, like I'm going to be reading that sometime very soon, especially before we get Michael Twitty on the show because he's definitely coming on Black in the Garden. Now it's fun because he don't know that yet, but y'all can go holler at him for me. That's always like, if there's a guest that you want to see on Black in the Garden, by all means, let me know. But more importantly, let them know, especially if you have access to them. As I understand, I don't know who all is listening. (laughs) I don't know who all is listening. That is actually one of my least favorite things about podcasting is I don't know who this is going out to. But I'm glad that you are listening. But, you know, the point that I was making with that is if there's somebody who you would like to hear on Black in the Garden then by all means, let them know in whatever way, even if you're obnoxious about it, because like it comes across differently if it's you, a listener who is a who is a supporter saying, oh, my God, you should go on this show versus me going up there like, oh, my God, come on my show. It just it comes across differently. It just it comes across differently. I hope you understand what I mean by that, Uh, because I don't make a habit of like harassing people like Erica Badu, to come on my show, but I'm not entirely above it, but it just comes across differently when my soil cousins are burning up her mentions and letting her know that she should certainly be a guest on Black in the Garden. So there's her. There's also Michelle Obama. Of course, there's Oprah. You know, let's just get this list out here generating so we can know, so they can know that they are being summoned at this point, y'all get out there, disperse, spread, and let them know, let whoever know. Some of y'all be knowing people that know people. And so this is my way of letting you know, go ahead and use those connections. Jennifer Lewis, Tiffany Haddish, like I said just a minute ago, Michael Twitty, Leah Penniman, Ron Finley. These are dream guests of mine who I would like to really get deep with them about their plants and what their experiences is. Like I said, Erica Badu, y'all go holler at them. That is your homework since we're wrapping up this episode of Black in the Garden. And of course, the other homework is to actually get into those show notes and find a way to support. If you love this show, because I'm not even going to say like, that's not an option. If you love this show, (laughs) 
show your support in any possible way of this show. If it's worth it for you to spend an hour letting me be all up in your ears, then I I don't see how it's asking that much more by saying, look, just take a few more minutes to send off an email that could get me one of my dream guests or make a monetary donation or something like that. I don't think that's asking too much, especially considering everything that went into making this episode and every past and future episode possible for you. I've done my work. (laughs) I've done my work so it can be easy for you, my listening soil cousins, to help me continue to help you. Y'all know those episodes would be fire. What if I had Tiffany Haddish on here for real? Or let's reframe that. When she comes on here, don't y'all think that's going to be a fun, fun ass time? Hit her mentions up. All right. That's all I'm saying. So I'm going to keep saying that until I see everybody on my wish list and the wish list will continue to grow. But that is the long and short of it all. All together. I am very grateful for you. I hope that your plants are flourishing and your edges and and you're drinking good water and all that good stuff, taking care of yourself, tending to your garden and tending to yourself. Until the next time, I want to wish you all love, light and soil.